Romans chapter 7. Uh, we are uh, been going through the book of Romans. This is Paul's letter to a church that he was about to visit. Uh, we're calling it the gospel according to Paul uh, because this is what Paul is doing. He is uh, just in a very systematic way uh, speaking to Jews and Gentiles who have come together as one family, uh, though they don't necessarily like each other. They don't come from the same culture, uh, but he, Paul is reminding them of what God has done in the gospel to rescue those who were far off the Gentiles and to rescue those who were near the Jews all by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gospel according to Paul. And we are about halfway through it this morning, uh, this morning as we go. Uh, but it's, it's important for us to uh, maybe even just summarize uh, the first six chapters of where we've been in this because I think uh, this will set up chapter seven very well. Um, so, so I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do that with some props. So I told you I was bringing props today. Uh, I, I, I've got an illustration here that is not original with me. I didn't come up with this. I saw this about 15 years ago, and I was, it just helped me tremendously understand uh, just some of the dynamics of the gospel, uh, understand the, the past, present, and future tense uh, of the gospel. So uh, let, let's just do some summary of what, what Paul has covered here. In chapter 1, Paul reminds us, that uh, God, well, well, he reminds us that God is the creator of all things. He's a, a God of all peoples. And so uh, with that, I, I want to just represent God. I, I realize this is just an illustration, so it's a terrible uh, view of God. But nevertheless, I want you to see God here. I'm going to put a, a theta. That's uh, what we would do in Greek class, shorthand for theos, uh, for God. Um, I also like to put a triangle because that reminds me that God is triune, uh, three in one. So we, we've got God here. Uh, and uh, in the beginning was God. Genesis chapter 1, Paul reminds us, 1-1, uh, in the beginning was God. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was God. God created all things. God was eternally self-existent in three persons, one essence, Father, Father Son, and Holy Spirit. And then we're reminded, Paul reminds us of Genesis, uh, the second half of chapter 1 and chapter 2, that God created. He created Adam and Eve. And so uh, I've got Adam coming up over here somewhere. Uh, here we go. Uh, Adam came into the world. He was uh, made by the dust, made into the image of God. I've got to use a different color here. This is going to get a mess. I, I need a bigger table. Uh, but... Uh, let's just put uh, Adam here so you can make sure you can see it. Adam. I'm going to put a little stick figure on the back here so you know this is Adam. So, so we had Adam. And, and Adam was created in God's image, created uh, just by the sheer grace and mercy and love of God to, to enjoy the creation, to, to live with God in creation, to be in relationship with him. And, and God said, this is all for you. You can have all of this creation. You're meant to work it and t- take care of it. You're meant to exercise dominion as I have dominion over the whole universe. You are to bear my image. There, there's just one rule, Adam. There's just one rule. There's one tree. You can have all the trees, all of the other trees. There's just one tree. It's the tree of the garden in the the center of the garden of knowledge and evil. and, And you cannot eat that tree. Okay, so there's how, we don't know how long that went on, but, but the text seems to indicate it didn't go very long before Adam said, I, I, I think I want to break that rule. Uh, and him and Eve, uh, they, they listened to the serpent, they ate of the tree, and then the Bible says, and Paul reminds us, in that moment, uh, sin came into the world. So we're going to have to put some sin in the world here. Uh, yeah, got this one here. 
also sin. And I'm, I'm actually going to do something a little bit different with this one. So you can just see it pretty clearly. I'm going to put that, also represent that as a red bean bag. Okay. Everyone can see sin. Sin came into the world, but it didn't just kind of come into the world as a uh, non-corporeal entity. Uh, it, it was an entity that came in, and Paul will describe it as coming into Adam. So, so now, sin came into Adam, but more than that, as sin came in Adam and through Adam, sin was then unleashed in the world. So we need another sin box. Oh, God. That's really the wrong one to fall. Um, <laughs> That's not good, uh, but we'll get this one here. Okay, so I just want you to, everyone can see that. I've done this before with giant Tupperware. That was a little bit, that was a little bit easier. However, I, when I did it before with giant Tupperware, uh, like big bins, uh, I also did it with um, a permanent marker. And so uh, then we stored stuff in, in our garage and people would go in our garage and they'd be like, hey, we, we saw your, your box of sin. <laughs> like, yeah, this is just a sermon illustration. But no, sin came into the world, but uh, it, it got unleashed in the world. But Adam was then in sin and sin was in Adam. And this was the state of humanity. And because God is holy and just, uh, he cannot dwell, uh, he cannot be in the presence of sin. And his justice demanded, and he warned Adam that in the day that you sin, you will die. Now, now Adam sinned, and he didn't die, but he did die spiritually. So uh, there is a spiritual death and a physical death that begins to be unleashed in the whole world. Oh, yeah, I'll take another one. Thank you. We're going to get this going on because this is going to get even bigger in a minute here. Uh, so this was Adam's state. Dead to sin, dead in his sin, sin in him. And then Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 5 that Adam actually represented all of us. I believe it was in verse 14 where, was, where Paul says, In Adam we all sinned past tense. So, so when Adam sinned, as our federal head, uh, we sinned. So that brings all of humanity, but, but more importantly, that brings you into the story here. Oh, I need purple for that one. All right. So this, this could represent Aaron or whatever, but really it's just you. you. You came into the world, and look how cute you were when you did that. Uh, but you didn't come into the world like Adam came into the world. You didn't come just uh, neutral. You didn't come just, hey, I I'm ready to be in relationship with God. Uh, Paul reminds us, because Adam was our, our head, that, that when, when, when we were born, we weren't born spiritually neutral. We were born with what we saw a few weeks ago, uh, original sin. And the Bible says that sin was in us uh, from birth and that we were in Adam. And we already know Adam was in sin. And so this was our spiritual state apart from God. So you can, if you look real close, you can see yourself in there. And if you look past yourself, you can see the sin in there. So that you, you've got sin in you. You are in Adam. Adam is in sin. This was our helpless state. And there was nothing in us because there was spiritual death and, and which would lead to physical death that could bust out of this. Ephesians 2.1, for you were dead in your sins and transgressions. 
And you had no ability in and of yourselves to uh, make your way out of this, to clean yourself up or to, for, for the Gentiles to follow their conscience and follow the, the light of creation for the Jews to take the law and say, we're going to do this perfectly. You couldn't. You were born dead in sin, in Adam, in sin, and sin in you. This was our helpless state. And God could have left us like that. But we know this is about the gospel, the good news according to Paul. This is the good news of the Bible. So uh, Adam came. Wait, I've got something wrong here. Who do we got here? We got Adam there. I got an extra container. We'll figure that out in a second. Okay, so Jesus came. Here we go. Oh, I just didn't put the lid in. Okay, we're figuring that out. There you are. Everyone got, it's not giant, but... At least no one's going to say, I keep my sin in my garage. Um, So eventually, Galatians says, at at just the right time to fulfill all the promises, before the creation of the world, God had a plan. He he actually knew this is what would be unleashed on the world. He wasn't scrambling when when they took from the garden, the tree in the garden. Uh, he, he, He knew from before the creation of the world that he would go on a rescue mission for sinners. He would bring dead people back to life, both physically and spiritually. And so he came from heaven in glory. He took on a second nature. He is truly man and truly God. And Jesus came from heaven to earth. So I'm just going to put a cross here. I'm going to put Jesus here. So Jesus came, but he was without sin. And Hebrews tells us that because he was truly man and truly God, he had all of our limitations. He had all of our temptations. All the things that you struggle with, he faced those things, and yet he was without sin. He lived in perfect obedience to his Father. He lived in perfect obedience to the law. He always loved his father with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He always loved his neighbor as himself. And yet he came to die. He he came to ultimately take on that which we deserve because God is just and the justifier of those who believe him. He came and he went to the cross. And on the cross, he did what's, what's called a double imputation. He came and he busted in on the cross to break us out of sin and to break sin out of us and to take that on himself on the cross. And as he paid for our penalty, the second imputation happened. His righteousness came to us, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And at the end of that, those hours, six hours on the cross, on that Good Friday, he said, it is finished. And in that moment, he busted open the, the doorways to heaven, and he made this dynamic totally changed. So the Bible tells us that when Christ came, he, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, he transferred us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. So here you are. When you put your faith in Christ, spiritually you are transferred from Adam, from sin, sin out of you, into Christ, and now you are in Christ. But, but it gets better than that, because Colossians chapter 1 tells us this, that God has chosen to make among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. So, so you, you're here, and uh, I, I've got now another beanbag. I've got a blue beanbag with a cross on it. So now you got Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
But the gospel is even better than that. So you're starting to see yourself here, but the gospel is even better than that because Colossians 3.3 says this, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And this is by grace through faith, your new spiritual state. Again, you can kind of see yourself in there, but instead of sin... And instead of sin in you, you, you have to see God. Uh, of course, we, we're, this is just an illustration. It's, it's also putting forth some ancient heresies. But um, there is God. There is the, the Son. Uh, and you are in the Son. And the Son is in you. And this is your life. And this is what Paul has been going at for the last few chapters in chapter 5 and, and 6. These are the benefits of your justification. This is true of you if you are in Christ. You, you are in God. And Christ is in you. And you have had your sin taken out of you. And you are out of sin. This is true of you. And so the, the encouragement over the last couple of weeks has has been simply to live like who you are. So, so uh, Rick came up a, a few weeks ago and he, he said, um, you, you have union with Christ. There's a picture of union with Christ. Therefore, be who you are. Live that out. Last week, Jesse uh, preached on the second half of chapter six. He says, you're no longer a slave to sin. You are owned by Christ. And so uh, be who you are. Work out of your identity in that. And so what, what Paul has meant to do in the last several weeks is to encourage you, to, to remind you of this is actually your state. You, you were like this in Adam, in sin, and sin in you, but this is who you are. Now, now the problem with that, the problem with that is two things. And this is why Romans chapter 7 is so important. If you just read Romans chapter 5, and you just read Romans chapter 6, and you skip over to Romans chapter 8, which is even more glorious, even more amazing things that we have in, in Christ that are yet to come, but you just take those things and you skip chapter 7, then, then, then you have this danger. You could go one of two ways. The danger could be the, the, the idea that, well, if this is true of me, then I can live a perfect life. And I should live a perfect life. There's a perfectionism that, that can come out of that. And in fact, some people believe this. They, they think, well, if this is true, therefore I, I, must have, have, I must be living a perfect life. I know someone once told me, I haven't sinned since 1997. I was like, well, you just did right there. So, um, because the theology of it was, well, clearly this is what's true. So therefore, I, I, I haven't sinned. So, so there's a perfectionism, but, but maybe as you've seen the, the, the heights of this glory and then you've, you've been just living your life, thinking your thoughts, doing your things, there, there is a disconnect between this and your reality. There can be a defeatism that can kind of creep in. There, you can be like, well, I, a doubting of our faith. Well, if this is what I should be, if this is the true spiritual state of me, then why is there still so much struggle? Why, why do I fall? Why don't I live like this? Is my faith genuine? Is, is there any power in the Christian life at all? And praise be to God, Romans chapter 7 is here to tell you there is. There is. So, so if you have your Bible, we'll, we'll, we'll look at this because we, we can come to these chapters and, and ask the question, is this too good to be true? Because our experience seems very different. But Romans chapter 7 is for our encouragement this morning and for our perseverance. And so, if you have your Bible, we'll pick it up in verse 14. Listen to Paul writing. It's going to get very personal. 
and very pastoral. And some of these verses are going to sound familiar. We read one of them already this morning. Uh, but it's going to be familiar on a different level, an experiential level for all of us. Look what he says, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not, for I, for I do, not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing." Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find to be a law, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So the question he's raising here is, if this is true, why, why does sin persist? Why does it seem like uh, at times that sin is even more present as a believer than, than not as a believer? Why is there this struggle, this angst? Do, do you feel any of that? Well, here's a, here's a hint. If you feel that, I, I think what Paul is saying is there's some evidence of genuine faith in you. If you come to the, this and you, you say, well, I believe the gospel and I'm really not that bad and it doesn't really matter, I'm good, I feel no conviction, I feel none of that, then, then you're in a very, very dangerous spot this morning. The Apostle Paul is, is, is in angst, he's tormented. Look what he says, verse 15, I do the very thing I hate. Verse 19, I keep doing evil. Verse 24, he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? from this body of death. You, you sense a deep frustration, a, a deep disappointment. Why do I keep sinning? Well, why do I have uh, just those thoughts that come into my mind? Why do I keep putting those things in front of me? Or, or why do I keep uh, telling things that aren't true out of my insecurities? Why, why is my heart full of greed and jealousy? Or why do these things persist? Do you, do you ever feel that? And does it feel tiresome to you? at all. I mean, if it doesn't for you, we can wrap this up. I'll just go home and try to apply this myself. Do you, does, do you ever feel that? Yeah. It's like, why? Man, how long? Lord, Lord I, I believe what you said about me. I believe this is true. And yet, my experience so often doesn't reflect this. Why is that, Lord? And it's tiresome. You see, 
what Paul is feeling. In fact, some scholars come to this passage and it's such a radical departure from, from chapter 5 and 6 and, and into 8 that they think that somehow Paul is, is unbeknownst to us without telling us, now going back in time and telling us uh, of his life before he became a Christian. Because, Paul, you just said in chapter 6, we're not slaves to sin, but it sounds like, it sounds like you're a slave to sin here. So maybe you're talking about before your pre-Christian life. Now, I'm going to show why I don't believe that's true, both in this text from Paul uh, and, and elsewhere, but also from our own experience, right? Like, just because we came to faith doesn't mean that the struggle has gone away. Just as because we come to faith doesn't mean that there isn't just this indwelling sin. So what is going on here? I think Paul wants us in Romans chapter 7 to have a clear view of three things. Our spiritual status, our ongoing struggle, and most importantly of all, he wants us to have a clear view of our Savior. So, so let's look at our spiritual status. Paul is talking about uh, something that's going on here. He's talking about what, what really became a, a formula that was central to the Reformation. Martin Luther uh, said this, and, and uh, when, when you debated uh, theologically in the 15th, 14th, 16th century, you debated in Latin. And so he came up with this formula. Uh, it, it is this, simul justice et peccator. Simul justice et peccator. Any Latin students in here? Okay, simul, you can maybe figure out, simultaneous. So at the same time, et, et tu, brute, and you, and. So justice, just, justice, righteousness. So here, here's the formula Luther pointed out, and he, he gets a lot of it from Romans 7. We are at the same time just and righteous as we are peccatara, sinners. Same time, saint and sinner. Same time, righteous before God and Sinner, Simul justice et peccator. This is huge for us to understand. In fact, uh, I, I'm not a tattoo guy, but, but I have a friend, a pastor in Boulder. He's got the tattoo. If I get one tattoo, this would be the tattoo. He, he got it here. Simul justice et peccator. And you can see uh, on the upper half, he, he is redeemed. He is in, in his kingly robes. He is reigning with Christ. And then in the lower half, uh, sinner, he is dead. He's got the sword through his head. And this is the tension we live in. So here's why this is important. What Paul has been describing, what this describes is one aspect of our salvation. But salvation in the Bible is, is referred to in, both a, in, in three ways. Past, present, and future tense. And there's words given to that. So justification happened when, when Christ accomplished salvation on the cross. And in the moment that you believe in Christ, uh, several things are said about you. That you are a, a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. That, that, uh, that's 2 Corinthians 5.17. That you have been crucified with Christ. You no longer live, but Christ lives within you. Romans 6.11. You count yourself dead to sin. Ephesians 2.6. God raised us up with Christ and seated, seated us with with him in the heavenly realms. In your justification, that happened once and for all. This is absolutely true of you. But there's a present tense to our salvation. Ongoing. It's our sanctification. So a better picture of our sanctification is not just this, that we have Christ in us, though that is true. There is this ongoing, indwelling sin that comes in. And this is what Paul is describing here in chapter 7. 
this is what's true of you. You are still in Christ. Christ is in you. And you are in God. That is absolutely true. And yet, if you look closely, there's still the struggle. There's still indwelling sin. There's still a battle raging. And it is constantly trying to get the upper hand. Constantly to steal your joy. Constantly to get you to doubt your faith. Constantly to please your flesh. Because here's the deal. Christ redeemed us from the law. And we're going to see in a moment why his resurrection, I'm talking his physical resurrection, is so important for us. Because it pre-shadows, prefigures one day we will have a physical resurrection with these bodies redeemed, without sin, with these minds, without sin, with these affections, without sin. It will be fully and finally redeemed. But it's not yet. You still have that body. You still have solidarity with Adam. And that solidarity with Adam looks like indwelling sin. And then there's a future. There's a futureness to our resurrection or our salvation. Sometimes Paul says, and you will be saved. This is our glorification. This is what Paul is longing for in verse 24. Who will deliver me from this body of death? He's longing for it. But right now we are in this justification period, this indwelling sin, this battle. You see a little bit of it in chapter 8, verse 23. He says, we, the whole creation groans inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sin. We're longing for it to come. So this is our spiritual status. We still have indwelling sin. We're, we, we're already saved, but not yet there. So Paul wants us to have a clear view of what is actually going on here. Next, he wants us to have a clear view of the struggle the struggle is real, but, it, but this chapter is here to encourage you, don't lose heart. One, you're not alone. The Apostle Paul struggled. He, he hates the things that he does. He, he wants to do the things that are right, and he knows they're right, but he finds himself in thought, word, and deed still struggling. He hasn't yet arrived, he said in Philippians chapter 3. There is a struggle The other reason why I think this is true of Paul as a Christian and not pre-Christian is because Paul tells us what his pre-Christian life was like in Philippians chapter 3. There was no struggle. He thought he was awesome. He was like, man, uh, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. And he was blind as a bat. But now that he has Christ, now that he has the righteousness of Christ, he sees the indwelling sin and he hates it. And he hates the struggle, but he's encouraging you and me to press on. Like none of us in this room have arrived. None of us in this room have not, in thought, word, and deed, stumbled and fell. We're struggling. We press on. Don't give up. Don't give up. John Newton, who was the slave trader, uh, converted to Christ, wrote many hymns, wrote the most famous hymn of all time, Amazing Grace. He says this. He says, I am not yet what I ought to be. I am not yet what I want to be. I am not yet what I hope to be. But by the cross of Christ, I am not what I was. You are not what you were. And yet, you are not yet what you want to be. You are not yet what you hope to be. But the cross tells us one day, one day you will be there. On Thanksgiving, we, after the turkey coma wore off, we turned on the TV and um, pulled up the Born Identity, Born movie, the first one. Is it just called Born? Born Identity? I don't know. Thank you. Yeah, I watched it with you. Uh, so we're watching that. And uh, so Jason Bourne, it starts off, he's floating 
in the ocean. Uh, the fishermen pull him out. It's got some bullets in its back. Wake him up. He has amnesia. He doesn't know who he is. And he can't figure out. He doesn't know why he was in the water with bullets in his back. Has no idea. He just begins to discover that he has some special skills. He knows all these languages. And he's in these scenarios where people are coming after him. And he can do things and evade things and notice things and fight in certain ways. That He's like, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? And eventually he discovers that he's an assassin. And he doesn't like it. But, but it's so ingrained in him, it's so just uh, second nature to him that, that it's hard, it's hard for him to uh, walk away from that life, to live a, a different life. I, I think this is a view of, of, our, of our lives in Christ. We, we've spent so much time in the flesh, so much time just in these patterns that they are the natural things. And so it's a struggle. It, it takes effort. It, it takes a, a, a determination to pursue holiness Nobody drifts toward holiness. We drift to who we were and not who we are. And so Paul is saying, get a clear view of the struggle. Fight. It's a race to be run. Don't give up. Pursue holiness. It's, everything is at stake. It, ma- it will matter forever and ever. And so thirdly, what Paul wants to see, us to see in Romans chapter 7 is, get a clear view of your Savior. Verse 24 again, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is not so much a cry of despair, but a cry of longing, a cry of of one day when Christ will come or we will go to him and, and he will establish once and for all. He will deliver us from this body of death. And so he gives us the answer, verse 25, who will deliver me? Jesus will. Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. The battle goes on, but a day is coming. Christ has accomplished salvation. He is working salvation in us. We'll see that in chapter 8 by his spirit. And a day is coming where he will once and for all deliver us from this body of death. And you will have full and complete freedom in Christ. You will have this body redeemed. You'll have this mind redeemed. You'll have your affections redeemed in Christ. So, Christian, look at your Savior. I think there's two results in this room uh, from coming to Romans 7. And I think what Paul wants to do is first he wants to afflict the comfortable. Did you see Paul's struggle? Do you see his angst? Do you see his despair? He's modeling for us a battle, a war to be waged with sin. If you have no angst, if you have no despair, if you have no fight in you, it may be because you're not really a believer at all. Because if you're a believer, we'll see next week, you have the Spirit of God and the Spirit hates sin. Do you hate sin like Paul hates sin? Do you long to be free from sin like Paul longs to be free from sin? If that's not your description this morning, then the best thing you can do right now is repent of your self-righteousness. Repent of your, your belief that you're good enough and repent and ask God, convict me of my sin. I want to hate the things that you hate and love the things that you love. And so work in me. So he wants to afflict the comfortable in this morning. We should never be comfortable with sin. 
It is a misunderstanding of the gospel that says, well, because Jesus takes care of it, I'll just do whatever I want. And some people take this very passage as their excuse to sin. That's, a, that's blasphemy. Some say, well, you know, I'm just going to continue on in my porn addiction because Romans chapter 7 says even Paul struggled. No. No. If you get anything from this, is a desperation saying, I want to be free of that. Lord, I want to be free of all those things that still enslave me of the indwelling sin in my life. So he wants to afflict the comfortable. But he also wants to comfort the afflicted. When we read about the glories of all that we have in Christ and when we live our life, we realize, man, we're not there yet. There's still a battle, but we're not alone. We're not alone in the battle. We're going to battle all our days, and yet God is with us. We are in Him. He is in us, and He is in God. And I don't even know how to put the Holy Spirit in there, but you get that as well. And so he wants to comfort you, sinner. He's still at work. Your sin, your indwelling sin, is not disqualifying you from glory. You have been justified. You are being sanctified. I am not yet what I want to be. I'm not yet what I hope to be, but one day by the cross of Christ, I know I will be what I want to be. So we... The other thing I think that we take, as we just close this morning, that we take away from this is that remember who Paul's writing to. We almost always read our Bibles as, individual, as individuals, like through an individualistic lens. That's not how Paul is writing. He's writing to the church. He's writing to Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, and he's writing to them because he knows that the, the, the battle with sin is, is meant to be fought in community. You're not meant to just have these little private struggles with sin in the darkness of your room or whatever and not let anyone know and not let anyone in. You will lose that battle. But the greatest weapon we have, apart from the Holy Spirit himself convicting us of sin, is in this room right now. Brothers and sisters who also sin, who also struggle, who also are not yet what they hope to be, not yet what they want to be. Uh, they are struggling, but, but they have the Spirit too. And when we come to each other in our gospel communities, in our core groups, and just in relationships one, with one another, and we say, hey, here's what I've done. Here's what I've thought. Here's where, how wicked my heart is. And, and they say, hey, uh, we're, we're here for you. And we bring the dark, that which is in darkness into the light. It gets exposed and it loses its power in our lives. We need one another. And so we often say around here, it's okay to not be okay. Jesus will meet you where you're at. That's tremendously good news. But we should add to that. It's okay to not be okay. We will meet you where you're at. There should be zero shock factor when any of us confess any of our sins. Right? You're like, well, some sins, you know, that's going to be worse. No, there should be zero shock factor because we know we're in process. We need one another. Man, it's evidence of grace when people are willing to just be honest and real and say, here's how I struggle. Here's how I stumble and I hate it. Will you help me with this? And now we can hold each other up. Man, do not, do not miss that. This is why it's important to know the people in your church. It's important to be in community. Church is not your individualistic experience between you and Jesus. It's all of us together. So there should be no shock factor. Our hope is built on nothing less 
than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So let's get a clear view of our spiritual status. Let's get a clear view of our struggle that will continue on. And let's get a clear view of our Savior. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Lord, all of us, all of us still struggle in thought, word, and deed. I pray, Father, that you would uh, comfort the afflicted, afflict the comfortable this morning so that we might uh, turn our hope and our attention and our lives to you. God, give us a clear view of Jesus this week. Lord, let us encourage one another this week. Let us pray for one another this week. Lord, we also want to pray, Father, for our missions partners, for the Edwards this morning in Ireland as they too are in process and yet want to display Jesus in Ireland. I pray for your indwelling spirit and power in them to make much of Jesus. Lord, we give you this in your name. Amen.